You know, uh, back in July, I took a trip, a mission trip to uh, Ensenada. And there I was working with one of our, one of our missionaries, uh, Jim Culp. And he's been down there for about a year now. And we, we, taught, uh, we taught the Trinity. Uh, I taught in English and they would translate in Spanish. And so I taught the Trinity uh, with, a lo- with another pastor friend of mine to some local uh, church leaders uh, in some, some sort of rural parts of the, of the uh, Ensenada area. And, you know, you think teaching, uh, you think the Trinity is complicated in English. Try, uh, teaching, <laughs> try teaching in another language and it gets even more complicated. But one of the things I love about missions is that you get to go and you get to encourage missionaries because they often will always feel like, no matter how long they live in a place, they'll always feel like an outsider. They'll always be, in this case, like Jim will always, Jim and Annie will always be the tall white people in Ensenada, no matter how good their Spanish gets. And so, but I always like to talk because after they've been there for a while, one of my questions is like, what's, what's the barrier for the church moving forward in this area? And a lot of times the, the questions are, the, the answers are very, very interesting. But there's, there's actually been, and this time, it's been happening, is I asked Jim, I said, Jim, what's the, one of the barriers do you see that's happening with, with the gospel? Not just the church, but the gospel, the, 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 the story and the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection moving forward and in Sonata and the surrounding areas. And one of the things that he said, not the only thing, was one of the things he said was that actually one of the the, the difficulties here is, is the increasing influence of what's called the health and wealth gospel. This idea that, that if you are faithful to God and faithful to Jesus, he will bless you with all sorts of worldly things. You get nice houses and, and nice cars and, 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 and you get more money. You'll get that job you've always wanted and you'll be healthy. And he says, this is, this is the hard thing is because, because it's an attractive teaching and people are taking on to it. And, 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 and I, I heard that actually in, in Ensenada, but I, I'm hearing the same things out of even more Central America. I'm hearing even more of that coming out of South America and the time in, in Africa I'm hearing the same thing. They go, here's, the, the, one, of our, one of our barriers is, is the health and wealth gospel. Is that if you follow Jesus, he's going to bless you with all of these possessions. And it weighs heavy on me because I go, this, this comes from my land. I, don't, I didn't bring that to you, but my people did. Because one of the things that they're doing is they're watching the American churches and not all of them, but they're watching American churches. They're watching their affluence. They're watching these big, big buildings. They're watching these rich, rich pastors. And they're, th- and they're hearing these words. And if you follow Jesus, you can be like me too. They've mistaken affluence for faithfulness. And for me, I just go, here's, here's the problem. Then you come in, you speak about a Jesus who, who's sacrificing everything, who lays it all down. 
who, who serves, and that just does not sound as attractive as this Jesus over here. And so, I go, then what do we, what do, we do? I mean, because here's this, this thing is that it, it, it brings together, and this is an overgeneralization, by the way. It brings together two things that God separates. The pursuit of, of worldly possessions and the pursuit of, of godliness. And I go, so what? It's just a, I go, it's, it's a bad idea. I go, in general, it's a bad idea to bring together things that God has separated. I also think it's a bad idea to separate things that God has brought together. I think that's an equally bad idea. So if God brings it together, leave it together. And if God separates it out, then, then, then separate it out and leave it separated. And, and I guess the, the good news for us is that this is not a new problem. This has actually been something that's been going on for a very long time. It's the passage that we're going to look at this morning as we've been walking through 1 John. Because 1 John is this letter that's written to a people who are, are really wrestling with, with what they believe. And largely because their leaders, some of their leaders, have, have, have broken away from traditional Christian teaching and have started embracing another kind of teaching. And now John is writing this community to, to firm them up and to challenge, to challenge the, the, the teachings of those who have defected. I think this morning he's going to answer a real pivotal question that still plagues us today is that how does a Christian, how does a Christian live in a world that doesn't love Jesus? I think this is becoming an increasingly important question in our world. You know, you go back to the 50s, Christianity was just a thing. It was a part of culture. It was a benefit to say, I'm a Christian. Oh, me too. Where do you go to church? And then we'd make judgments based on people, based on their denominations. But that's changed, has it not? And so how does a Christian live in a world, so how does a, a lover of Jesus let me rephrase it. How does a, a lover of Jesus live in a world that doesn't love Jesus? I think that's the question that John's going to answer for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Let me read that again. Do not love the world for the things or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do not love the world. By the way, this is long story made short, but this is the first actually command that we get in, in, in 1 John. The first, it's called, an, it's called an imperative. It's the first imperative that we get. This, this idea like, this is what I want you to do. And he says, and don't, don't love the world. I looked it up this week, and I go, this is the, actually the only time in the New Testament I can, I can find that we're told not to love something. 
Now, we're told to maybe to, to, to hate some things, but even when hate is used, typically it's like that you will be hated, not to go out and, and to hate the evil in the world. But this is the first time we're told not to love something, actually. Which is interesting because what Jesus does a lot of is he keeps raising the bar on love. And so he goes, you've actually heard it said to, to, to love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say what? Love your enemies. He's raising the bar. And so I go, so we're actually told to, to love our enemies, the one that we go, oh, I, sh- I, should, I should hate my enemies. He goes, that's what you've heard. What I'm going to tell you is something different. You need to love your enemies. And so then I'm, I'm on extra alert when I'm told not to love something. Because I feel like what we hear from Jesus is love, 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 love. And as soon as we're told not to love something, I go, oh, I got to pay attention there. All of a sudden I'm told not to love. John says here, do not love the world. Love your enemies. Do not love the world. Now here it gets confusing because one of the, the hallmark verses of the New Testament is what? John three sixteen, which says what? For God so what? So love the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die and not perish but have eternal life. You go, oh. John says, don't love the world. Now we have Jesus here that's dying for a world. And I go, yeah, because, because the world, the, the, the word world is used in different contexts, right? It could refer to a population, the population of the world, the people of the world. I think that's what we see in John 3.16. I think Jesus is very clear. I want you to love the population of the world. The world could also be used in this idea, so not just population, but creation, right? The, the things, like the, 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 the creation of the world. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that when God created, he said that it's good. He put Adam and Eve and said, this is good. So I don't think it's the creation of the world that he's talking about. Because otherwise, we don't see Genesis 1 and 2. God says, I created a world that they're going to hate. And I put them in it. He goes, no, I, put, I made a world that's good, that they're going to enjoy. I don't think that God is saying that. I, I don't want you to love a waterfall. What is that? A rainbow? I hate rainbows. That's not, that's not, I don't think that's what he's saying. What's he talking about then? I think he's talking about, as what we would say, is the way of the world. The way of the world, I would say, in ways of like, about, about values, about where we find meaning, significance, worth, success, differences between right and wrong, so a morality. There's this, there's this way of the world. So there's the, there's the people of the world, there's the creation of the world, and then there's the, the way of the world. And I think that what John is talking about here, he's going, don't love the way of the world. If you are in Christ, this is what we see, if you are in Christ, you don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to Jesus, and you don't get to have dual citizenship. Take you to a couple of places this morning where even Jesus is saying these sorts of things. In case we're like, well, that's a John thing. I'll take you to John, the gospel of John. John chapter 15. This is going to be in verse 18. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, I love to hear this, if you were of the world, the world would love you. 
I think a lot of things, we're just trying to be loved by the world. And Jesus says, you want to be loved by the world? Then be of the world. That's how you get loved by the world. If you were of the world, the world would love you. The world would love you. It would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore remember the world hates you. And so he goes, so you're not to love the world. The world doesn't, doesn't necessarily love you. No, you're supposed to love the people of the world. They're not going to love you. Because, but there's a difference here. You belong to me. And because you belong to me, you no longer belong to the world. I know that some of the, the ladies have gone through uh, James. And it says, when it talks about in James, you guys covered this, I know, James 4.4. 4, you adulterous people, this is Jesus' brother here, you adulterous people, you know not that the friendship, you know not that the friendship with the world is enmity with God, therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so even James is like, well, you gotta, you gotta choose. Is it, is it gonna be the world or is it gonna be God? Because you, you can't have both. You don't get dual citizenship. And so what do you do? And so, Part of what John, I think, is saying is saying, well, we have, to, we have to not love the world. Jesus says also, he goes, you can't serve two masters, right? And he's talking about money and, and God. He says, you can't serve money and God. Why? He goes, because you're going you're gonna to love one and you're going to hate the other. When he's talking about money, he goes, well, well, either you love money and hate God or you love God and you're going to hate money. And so which one is it? And so here's the, the problem that I find is that we hear this, right? We hear this scripture. We go, yes. I preach on it. Amen. Hallelujah. Preach it. But it's creeping in and on us. It creeps in and on us on ways that we know it's creeping in on us. And it's creeping in on us on ways we don't know that it's creeping in on us. And so John's very clear. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. And if you love the world, the love of the Father, is what he says, the love of the Father is not in them. Now, I don't think he's saying, and I, I, could, I could make a, if we had more time, I'd make a great argument for this, but just, I guess, trust me on this. He's not saying that, that God doesn't love you. That's not what he's saying. When he says they don't have the love of the Father, what he's not saying is that, that, the, that the Father doesn't love them. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the, the love of God, that, that their love for God is not in them. They don't have a love of God in them. They don't love God. They don't love the Father. Why? Because they love the world. They have one love in them. Either they love the world or they love God. And they have a love of the world and the love of the Father is not in them. That's what he's saying. Now this is a bold claim. And part of me just goes, John, where do you get this bold claim from? And he lays it out for us in verse 16. For all that is in the world... And this is why we know that he's talking about this, this sort of this, this, this value system, the way of the world, because he explains it to us. For all that is the way of the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he goes, so why not love the world? And John would say, the, the number one, one of the reasons why you don't love the world is because the world is not from God. 
It's not of God. It's not from God. It's not by God. It's not through God. It's none of that. It's not of God. And so if you're going to love God, why would you love something that is opposed to him? Don't love the world because the love is the, the, because the world is not of God. And I love how he, he lays it out. He goes, there is the desires of the flesh. He goes, let me tell you what I'm talking about here. So you don't just, you don't have to speculate actually. There's a desire of the flesh. We all have broken desires. You know this, right? You think about this, right? Desires for things that are not of God. They're broken. Some of them you know are broken. Some of them, some desires that you have that you think that are right and good, that are not right and good, and they're broken too. But we have desires. We have desires for, for things like greed, lust, material possessions, wealth. We have desires to slander other people. We have desires to gossip. We have a lot of broken desires. And then what do we do with those broken desires? And I think what John is saying, there's a difference between desiring the world and desiring God. And just know that these, these broken flesh, these, these sinful, these, these desires of the flesh, what are you saying? The desires of the flesh, they are not from God. So you have these desires of the flesh. And he goes, and guess what else is not from God? Desires of the eyes. We covet. We think that we have to have it. We see it. We want it. We long for it. We convince ourselves that we have to have it. And when we do have it, we will be fulfilled and we will have joy and everything will be great and all of the things will come together that are broken. And I think that what John says here, he goes, no. No, these, these, these desires, not only are they not from God, but then coveting them, that's not from God either. And this is what we do, right? We, we see other people that have these things. So what happens is we have these broken desires in us and then we want them fulfilled. And then we start fixating our eyes on people who have fulfilled them. And we think to ourselves, look how happy they are. And then because we covet and we fixate on the fulfillment of a broken desire, then we start to be filled with things of animosity. Well, why can't I have that? Why can't that be true of me? And so he says, so you have these desires of the flesh. You want it. You fixate your eyes, you fixate your eyes on it. And then I love this. Then it becomes the pride of life. We have a desire. We see that desire achieved in other people. We fixate on our eyes on it. So we have this desire of the flesh. We fix the eyes of desire on it. We achieve it in a much sometimes a similar way that other people have achieved it. And at that point, we're just taking what's ours. It's our turn. It's our right. It's our way. And then, and then we fulfill it. And then it becomes the pride of our life. I'll give you an example of this. I could give you, by the way, I could give you a lot of examples. But I'll go with the one that Jesus gave us, which was the, the idea of, of money. And so we think to ourselves, I would just want more money. Sure, it would be nice to be rich. 
Think about all of the problems I could solve if I had money. It's a broken desire, by the way. And then you know what we do? We start to fixate on those who have it. They have money. How'd they get it? Why'd they get money? What did they do to get it? Oh, okay. Well, I wish I had that. Oh. Maybe we'll watch, we'll watch some shows, right? We'll watch shows that th- those people look wealthy. How'd they get that? Man, it must, and this is what we start to think, it must be nice to have their life. So we have the desire, then we fixate on the desire, and then we, sometimes we achieve, not everybody will achieve wealth, but sometimes we achieve that desire, and then we think to ourselves, that's the pride of my life. I wanted wealth, I fixated on it, and now that I have it, the fact that I have commas in my bank account gives me pride. It makes me feel better than other people. It makes me feel more secure. It makes me feel more valuable, more loved. It raises up my importance. And what John is saying is is all of this, all of this is not from God. These desires, they're, they're not from God. I think He's saying don't love the world because the desires of the world, they're, they're not from God. And I go, and this is, this is the issue. A lot of times what we think is that the reason why we, like if we could just correct our actions, we would be better people. And then some of I go, yeah, I mean, I would kind of agree with that, but here's the problem. I don't think the actions are your problem. Jesus says this, by the way. The actions aren't necessarily your problem. The problem is that the actions are, are, are coming out of something else within you, a desire that you think that that action is going to fulfill. And he goes, and that's the brokenness. You could stop the action, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't stop the desire in your heart. And this is what he says when he goes, if, if your hand is what causes you to sin, just cut it off. Solve the problem, right? If you don't have hands, you can't steal. Just cut it off, throw it in the fire. And what Jesus is speaking about there is what he's, he's, he's driving home is that that wouldn't solve the problem, would it? Because instead of a, being a coveter, now you're just a one-handed coveter. And that's like, that doesn't do you, that doesn't do you any good. See, it's not the action, it's the desire in which the action is birthed out of. And, and, and to put this in more of like an everyday term, maybe it's like, it's like we think about this in, in other ways. Maybe in like dieting, they go, oh my gosh. I ate that triple chocolate brudge fountain the other day, brownie fudge Sunday the other day. Man, blew the diet. Just blew the diet whatsoever. I should not have done that. And I go, you're right. But see, here's the thing. Is that, that triple fudge chocolate brownie Sunday is not the problem. The problem is you wanted that more than you wanted the other. That's the problem. I mean, we, we, we could say the Sunday's the problem, like it was on the menu. But, yeah, I go, Here, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Even if it wasn't on the menu, there's a desire inside of you. And when the desire was presented to you, you went through your rigmarole. Mm, I shouldn't do it, but I should. I shouldn't do it. It's bad, I know. Maybe I shouldn't, but I should. And what happens is what you feel are desires battling their, their, their way out. And here's the thing that I know is always true. 
the greatest desire wins. That's pretty much standard. I think about even like with uh, sometimes dating. People go, oh, Josh, man, just I keep dating around guys. <laughs> I keep dating around girls. I, I, man, I just, I don't know. They, they find me. I go, weird, weird. Could it be, could it be that it's not the guys? I mean, it is the guys, but it, could that not be the, the, the root of the issue? The root of the issue is that there, there's something inside of you. There's a desire inside of you that the wrong guy fulfills. And what, what John is saying is just, the issue is desires. Don't love the world. Don't take your broken desires, fixate on your broken desires, and then, and, then, and then when those desires are fulfilled, it becomes the product of your life. He goes, if that's of the world, don't do that because that's not of God. From, from the conception of, I don't know, I think it would be nice, to the fruition, to the fulfillment of that, he goes, none of that is from God. That's all from the world. One, one example would be enough, but... John gives us two reasons why. Sorry, one reason would be enough. John gives us two. Verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires. All these broken desires, they're all going away. They're passing away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. He goes, I'll tell you another reason why you don't love the world. Because the world and its desires, it's all going away. It's all going away. All of your stuff is passing away. All of your material possessions, passing away. Your money, passing away. Your 401k, passing away. Western culture, passing away. America, passing away. It is all, all of the, all the world and all of its desires are going to pass away. And so I think part of John's like, why would you invest in this? The world, why would you invest? This company's going bankrupt. Like, yeah, I think I should buy more stocks in it. It's like, but the company filed for bankruptcy. You should sell stock, not buy it. We start rearranging the, the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? This thing's going down, but at least it'll look pretty. John says, don't do it. Don't love the world because it's not from God. The desires are from not, they're not from God. And, and those desires, they're passing away. They're temporal. But those that are in God are eternal. Uh, about a week and a half ago, I drove to Santa Rosa, and some of you guys know I used to live in Santa Rosa for a little while, and um, and met with some of the pastors there to talk about uh, the recent fires there and the destruction, and about how the now that the community is out of out of emergency mode of like people are now they're, they're safe. But now it's a whole nother tragedy, right? And so we met with the pastors to talk about what can we do, um, both as Northside and what can we do as a region, a regional set of churches in Northern California, what can we do to come alongside? How can we engage in what's called strategic compassion, right? He goes, don't send clothes. He goes, we've got warehouses of clothes right now. <laughs> he goes, but, that, but people don't know how. And so, and so we talked and we, some really, really great conversation but then afterwards, we, we, they said, we'd like, to, we'd like to show you. So we talk about it. We'd like to show you. And so we got in the, par- the car, and they, they took us to one of the, 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 
the hardest hit areas, which is a place, as you may have heard in the news, is Coffee Park. And it's really weird having lived in Santa Rosa and been to Coffee Park, uh, then to then travel to Coffee Park and just to see just destruction. Guys coming back from war zones were saying we've seen nothing like it. FEMA that was in Katrina, although Katrina was wider spread, they said we've seen nothing like this. Just houses, everything burned to the ground. And I thought to myself, because this has this is all happened on a Sunday night, as we're driving through the neighborhood, I was thinking about this. Like people were driving here on a Sunday night to their house and just pulled into their garage. I even thought about those that were, maybe after church they got lunch and they came home to their house, maybe watched some football. Because I don't think any one of them thought to themselves, by tomorrow morning, all of this will be gone. I mean, we were hearing stories about, about for the, the, from smelling of smoke one minute to house being engulfed in flames. Somebody who had, was ready to go with, with six suitcases. So they were like, we're, we're ready, only had time to get one of those. And I thought, passing away. And I, and I even thought to myself, as, as they are wrestling with this, they're wrestling with this new reality, the new reality of their, of their, new, their new place in life, and I thought to myself, maybe their reality is closer to reality than my reality. All of a sudden, they get at a way I can't wrap my head around. This is all passing away. All of this. It's all ghosts. And so John says, I don't want you to invest in the world. Why? Because this is not of God. The desires are not of God. The desires are not of God. And, and, and the fulfillment is not of God. And it's all passing away. You know, it's one of these things where I think about this idea that these, these broken desires, we fixate on the broken desires. The achievement of those broken desires become the pride of our life and then it passes away. Not only is that biblical, I've, I realize is that like, people have taken this and they've made a lot of money off of it. And I go, this is actually, as I was preparing this week, I go, this is our economy. This is consumerism. There's a desire in you. This said product will help you fulfill that desire. And oh, and by the way, your neighbor has that product. And so you can watch them. See how cool it is, how great it is, and then we fixate on it. And then we get it too. And then it becomes the pride of our life. Look what I got. Ah, you got one? How'd you get one? But then it passes away. You know, you have got a garage full of stuff that has passed away. And then there's a new desire with a new neighbor and a new pride of life. And it passes away too. And round and round we go. There was a nephew of Sigmund Freud. His name was Edward Bernays. And he was, from what most people would say, is one of the fathers, or the pioneers of, of, uh, of PR. And, and in that, um, he basically just took his, his uncle's stuff, Freud's stuff, and just says, how do, we, how do we use this to sell stuff? 
And he was actually the, one of the first to kind of come up with this idea that you actually don't sell products based on function. You, 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 you sell them based on desire. This idea that you sell the, you don't sell the steak, right? What you sell, the sizzle. It's kind of his, his idea. We take these desires and we say, this is how this product will fulfill this desire. He goes, and that's what you sell. In 1929, he was hired by the American Tobacco Company. This is a going in a good direction to do some of their marketing. They realized that, that men smoke, but there was this whole untapped market of women that didn't smoke. And largely because it was just not, it was frowned upon in, in social circles and in public for women to smoke. So he came up with an ad campaign. And the ad campaign that he came up with was this idea of, of torches of freedom. That's what he called cigarettes, torches of freedom. Women, you want to show the world that you are equal. You want to show the world that you have arrived. You want to, you want to break, you want to break the, the, the social structure. You show all of that by smoking a cigarette. Paid for by the tobacco company. And guess what? Women smoking went way up. I think to myself, oh, how naive. At least we're smarter than that, right? <laughs> We've arrived. Oh, we wouldn't, we wouldn't fall for stuff like that. And we do. Why? Because we have broken desires that we fixate that then become the pride of our life. John didn't think this was a good idea. Jesus didn't think this was a good idea. And Paul did not think this was a good idea. I want to take you to one last place this morning. This is in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. I'm going to start in the, the last part of the verse. This is Paul speaking. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he's saying, like, if everybody wants to talk about being Jewish and that they're going to find their pride in their nationality, he goes, I, I'm it. I'm that guy. I can, I can, I can, I can smoke them all. And for our purposes, it would be like him saying, like, I was born in the White House on the 4th of July while fireworks were going off to the sign of, 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 of you know, of, of a military great, to a general, four-star general. I was born, and they put me in a red, white, and blue onesie afterwards. <laughs> this is what he's saying, right? <laughs> I'm it. Then what does he say? Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake. So not as he goes, I counted for loss, but I've actually, I've lost it all. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. All of I, I go to, like, hey, Paul's here, guys. 
when he was a Pharisee, taught in the highest schools. Here comes Paul. He gets the seat of honor. He's here. The good pay. He goes, I lost all of that. I lost it all. And you know what? After losing it, I consider it garbage. For what? For the sake of knowing Jesus more. And I go, we don't think like that. And that's why we are so conflicted in our Christian walk. Because what Paul's saying, what John is saying, what Jesus is saying, is he's saying, don't fixate on the broken desires of the world. Don't desire it, don't fixate on it, and don't have it be the pride of your life. What he says is, he says, desire Jesus more than anything else. Fixate on Jesus more than anything else. And then Jesus will become the pride of your life. That's what Paul says. I consider it all for, this, for the sake of knowing him more. Like I know him more. And to me, that's a success. I think most of our frustrations as Christians come because we, in, specifically in prayer, because we ask God to fulfill the desires of the world in our heart and he refuses. And I go, we can't fulfill ungodly desires in godly ways. But we keep on trying, right? We can't, we can't fulfill ungodly desires in godly ways. But, but what we do is we ask God to do that very thing. And he says, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. And then we stomp off as frustrated. And so my application for you this morning is, well, it's Sean's application. Don't love the world. Don't love the world. But within that, I've been thinking about this. Like, What are your desires? What are the unfulfilled desires do you have? What have you been fixating on? What are your unfulfilled desires? What have you been fixating on? And what has become the pride of your life or what are you most proud of? I'll tell you what I'm most proud of. What is that fill in the blank? I don't know what it's for you. Paul says it should be like, I'm most proud that I know Christ more. I'm most proud of my children, but I'm actually, I'm most proud that my children, like I taught them Christ well. My prayer for you is that above all else, my prayer for you is that above all else, you would desire Jesus more than anything else. That you would fixate on Jesus in a world that is, is, it is begging you to fixate on anything else. That you would desire him more than anything else in a world that says fulfill these other desires. That you would fixate on him more than anything else in a world that says fixate on everything else. And that in that, he would then become the pride of your life. Oh, may our desires be fulfilled in Christ. May our gaze be fixed on Christ. And may Christ be the pride of our life. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word as as sometimes it, it cuts deeper than others. God, I just know that in this room we have a lot of unfulfilled desires that are just, they're just, if we're just being honest, they're not of you. 
There are visions of success that are not of you. There are visions of, of wealth that are not from you. There's visions of, of security that's not from you. Help us not fixate on them, God. Help us not become frustrated at the, the broken desires being brokenly fulfilled in other people's lives. Jesus, that we may desire you, that we may fixate our gaze upon you, and Jesus, that you would be the pride of our life. That no matter what the world may bring, no matter what the world may sell us or bring us or take us, that at the end, we could say that we knew Christ, that we knew you, Jesus, we knew you crucified, we knew you resurrected. We love you. We pray for this in your name.